You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are headed back into John chapter 18, and this is sermon number 42 in the Gospel of John, but I know you all haven't been counting. I wonder, I'm sure some of you all are asking, well, why are we spending so much time in one book of the Bible? Well, I believe that God wants us to know and study his holy word. I believe the Holy Spirit shows up to help us learn his word. And I believe God gives you supernatural ability to focus and take to heart what scripture has to say. Besides, what better subject matter is there than to spend week in, week out on the life and legacy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because it's all about him. Again, as we open up John chapter 18, we are at the last hours of Jesus Christ on earth. And every moment leading to the cross is the most significant moment in the history of the world. And we're studying Jesus, the most important person who's ever lived. And how he responds to the most atrocious injustice and evil reveals something of the character of Jesus and something of the nature of humanity. What we're going to see today is a series of counterfeits and fakes where Jesus is standing before someone and he is the real, the authentic the the true. They are the counterfeit. They are the fake. They are seeking to mock him by presenting themselves as the ones who are real. So as we jump into this text, we remember that Jesus has already been arrested at night. He now stands before the high priest, a religious leader. But this is not a fair trial. This is a planned execution. Here's where we are in John 18. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? All those who heard me Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest, Sounds like there's two high priests. There's not one was the father-in-law. The, he was the previous high priest, and his, his title just kind of gets carried over. Here we are in an interaction between Jesus and a religious leader. It's as if Jesus is on trial by religion. 
Now, you may not know Jesus, or you may have a misconception about Jesus. You may think, well, he's just on the side of all other religious leaders and spiritualities and speculations and philosophies. You need to know that here a line is drawn. On one side is religion. On the other side is Jesus. And actually, there's a conflict between Jesus and religion. And religion doesn't like Jesus. Jesus is not interested in starting his own brand of religion. He's interested in entering into a relationship with people to transform them. So we don't really see Christianity so much as a religion, but as a family of people who have a relationship with Jesus. Here what we see is false, counterfeit religion judging Jesus. So there are three things I want you to notice about Jesus. Number one, he is the truth. You see, what's happening here is that they are causing him to testify. Now, in their court system, much like ours, you're not supposed to testify against yourself. But here they have no witnesses It's the middle of the night. It's not a fair trial. Jesus is standing in such a place and where he is on trial, he is trying to testify. They're asking him to testify against himself, but he's going to do it because he tells the truth. And what he says to them is, okay, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you who I am. I have nothing to hide. And the big issue all along is that Jesus says he is God. You need to know this. Way back in John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33, here's part of that story. Jesus says, he's speaking to to religious leaders and, and a crowd, and he says, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. He's saying he's God. And in saying he's God, he is saying he is the highest authority over all religious institutions. He is the highest authority over all political institutions. Well, the the religious people and the political people, they don't like each other. They don't really have anything that binds them together, except in this moment. They have a common enemy. It's Jesus. Because he says that he is over both power structures. Now, if Jesus wants to avoid being crucified, all he has to do is change his testimony and not declare that he is God. If he does that, he will live. If he continues in his truth-telling, he will die. You know, here's the thing. Most people tend to lie when it benefits them. Most people don't lie when it causes harm to them. 
If Jesus is saying he's God and saying that is going to bring him the death penalty, then why does he keep saying he's God? Because it's true. So number one, Jesus tells the truth. Number two, he has nothing to hide. Again, the backdrop of this story is that all of this opposition has been orchestrated by a counterfeit disciple, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was very covert. For three years, he was stealing from Jesus' ministry. For an indefinite period of time, he was plotting the arrest of Jesus. Judas is sneaky, he's covert, he's dishonest. No one knows this except Jesus. And what Jesus is saying in John 18 is, I'm not like that. Everything I've taught, I've taught openly, publicly. You can have hundreds, thousands of witnesses, and they will tell you exactly what I said. It just shows that if we want to follow in the character of Christ, it requires us to ask of ourselves, number one, am I honest? Number two, is there anything I'm trying to do in secret? And then number three, Jesus has self-control. They didn't have any witnesses. They didn't have any claim. In Roman culture, you can't be put to death for claiming that you're God. You might be hated and despised by the Jewish religious leaders, but the Roman Empire is a massive political empire. They don't care what your religion is. They don't care what your theology or ideology is. The Roman Empire is a conglomeration of a lot of nations and a lot of religions. Here's what the Romans care about. Don't give us any trouble and pay your taxes. So Jesus isn't going to get into trouble with Rome unless he does something criminal. So the religious leaders need to provoke him. That's what they think will we'll cause him to, to get in trouble with the Roman authorities. Let's provoke him. Well, how do they provoke him? Well, they, they question his teachings. They question his truth-telling. They question his authority. And then they ratchet it up a notch. Let's provoke him by slapping him in the face. Jesus at this moment has two options. He can respond to the man standing in front of him or he can respond to the spirit that's inside of him. Self-control is what happens when we don't respond to the person or circumstance in front of us. We respond to the spirit inside of us. Now, how many of us know that that's hard? Think about how this has come about for Jesus. It's during the night. It's against the law. They weren't supposed to do trials at night. <laughs> Under the cover of darkness, no witnesses. And he is being completely disrespected. If that's any of us, <laughs> how hard is it to turn the other cheek? How hard is it to bless those who curse you? Jesus demonstrates tremendous self-control. Jesus does not allow the people in front of him to dictate and determine his behavior. That's what it means to have self-control. 
And now get this, all of this is taking place in front of the high priest who is supposed to be God's mediator between God and God's people. And he's supposed to be preparing God's people for the coming of the Messiah who is the real high priest. That priesthood that started with Aaron, Moses' brother, way back in Exodus, So it had been going on for 1,200 years at this point. And it's in a family line, family after family after family. That's how God designed it. And the priest's job was twofold. Number one, deal with sin. Number two, reconcile the people with God. They were the mediator. They were to represent God and the people by bringing the sin of the people before God. And then they would deal with that sin through the sacrificial system. The wage of sin is death. As a result, the issues need to be dealt with in order to reestablish that connection with God, to be reconciled. That's the primary job of the priest. The whole point was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus, who is the real high priest. The New Testament book of Hebrews talks a lot about this and it continually refers to Jesus as our great high priest he is the one who deals with our sin he is the one who comes to reconcile us in our relationship with God the father so you've got Jesus who is the real high priest and who is he standing before the earthly high priest and the earthly high priest decides that Jesus is the problem You see, we live in a world that judges Jesus and judges the Bible, and it does so arrogantly and freely, like, that's outdated. I disagree with that. That's not how I think. That's wrong. And that's where the conflict comes in. So is Jesus the one in authority, and I submit to him? Or am I the one in authority, and I judge Jesus? That's actually what's happening here. And for some of you right now, there's an issue in your life and you're in disagreement with God over that issue. When you find yourself in the same place, will you submit to his authority or will you become your own authority? Well, then it all moves from religion to Roman Empire. Now we get the counterfeit judge. We had the counterfeit high priest. Now we get the counterfeit judge. We had first the religious leader, and now Jesus is sent to the political leaders. Here's our next verse. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, They did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So this is the holiest time of the year for the Jewish people. And religious people say, we can't go into that guy's house. We can't go into the house of the governor because he's a dirty Gentile. And if you're here and you're not Jewish, guess what? You're a dirty Gentile. 
We can't go into the dirty Gentile's house because that'll make us dirty. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Now, this would be like the church having an issue with somebody on, on, on a church level and we take them to the courthouse. I mean, this is like the, the weirdest, um, you know, citizen arrest ever. You know, what's he, what has he done? Has he killed someone? The answer is going to be, no, we just uh, disagree with his theology. How much do you think the Roman Empire cares about this? <laughs> they continue in their argument to, <laughs> next verse, if he were not a criminal, they replied, well, we've not handed him over to you. The answer is, he's a bad guy, take him out. Pilate said, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. Take him to your crazy religious court. This is none of our business. But we have no right to execute anyone. They objected. We, we want to kill him, but we can't. That's why we're here. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Here they bring Jesus before the judge. Who's the real judge? Jesus is. Jesus already told us in John chapter 5 that the Father has made all judgment entrusted to the Son. The Bible is clear that you and I are going to die and when we do, we will stand before the judge. And who is that judge? Jesus is. Again, we see the difference between Jesus and religion. Religion is all about rules. Jesus is all about relationships. And their rules are these. We can't go into that guy's house because he's a dirty Gentile. And we, we need to have this trial at night because the Passover, our holiday, is about to happen. And we want to murder him, but we can't. So we're going to have to find a way to produce an outcome that we want by following our weird rules. Religion is about rules. Jesus is about relationships. In addition, religion is about outward appearances. Jesus cares more about what's on the inside. These guys are concerned about outward things. You can't go into that guy's house because that'll make you unclean. And what Jesus is dealing with is the internal, the heart. Religion cares more about how you look. Jesus cares more about who you are. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. In other words, how am I supposed to know? All you religious types have these real weird rules, you know, like circumcision good, pork barbecue bad. <laughs> but I can't figure you guys out. All I care about is peace and taxes. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? What has Jesus done? 
nothing. It's what he said. Jesus fed hungry people. That's not why they're going to crucify him. Jesus healed sick people. That's not why they're going to crucify him. Jesus loved the marginalized and outcast. They're not going to crucify him for that. What has he done? What do the religious leaders not like? Is that he has declared publicly, openly, emphatically that he is God. So the question is, is Jesus God? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would have fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Now, if Jesus claims to be a king, this could get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. Because there is no higher authority than Caesar, than the emperor, right? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. So let's talk about two things here, truth and kingdom. Our world doesn't believe much in truth. Truth is the standard of morality that's over you and me. It's like the law of gravity. It exists whether you like it or not. Here's what happens. There are times when we will deny this standard of morality. We will deny the standard of right and wrong when it benefits us. Pilate asks, what is the truth? Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the truth. So not only is there a standard of morality, ultimately there is Jesus who is God who rules over all people. He is the truth. He is the one who helps us declare that there is right and wrong. The second issue here is about a kingdom and about a king. God is a king with a kingdom. And in the kingdom of heaven, in the presence of God, God rules as king. And Satan declared war on God. And he set up these counterfeit kingdoms and counterfeit king himself. And we are born into this world. Well, we are in the middle of this ongoing war that culminates with this counterfeit being sentenced to hell. But the problem is, because we are sinners, we have joined the rebellion. So what does Jesus do? He gets off his throne. And he comes down. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be a part of his kingdom, not that kingdom. Jesus comes down and there is this war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. We saw this already operating in Judas Iscariot. In John 13, 27, it said that Satan filled Judas. And in Luke 22, it, it, 
it's where Jesus tells Peter, Satan has demanded you. He's already got Judas. Now he wants Peter. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. You see, Satan went after God in heaven, the the ultimate ruler. And then Satan comes down to earth and went after Adam, the first in the line of humanity. Then Satan went after Jesus, the son of God. Peter is the senior leader of the 12 disciples. He goes after Peter. Behind all of this is demonic and counterfeit. We've seen a counterfeit high priest. We've seen a counterfeit judge in Pilate. We've seen a counterfeit kingdom. Here comes the real priest. Here comes the real judge, the real king with a real kingdom. And there is a conflict. Jesus comes into this world and he says, look, I'm not trying to run Rome. I've got bigger plans than that. Ultimately, when Jesus comes, his kingdom will come to the earth and it will crush all nations. And the real King Jesus is all there will be forever. And in this moment, there is a collision of kingdoms. Again, all of this is happening during Passover, the Jewish holiest season. So after Pilate has asked, what's, you know, what's truth? Next verse tells us that with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. You know, Pilate has met Jesus. He has an opportunity to be saved. He has an opportunity to go from the wrong kingdom to the right kingdom. But he doesn't take it. Because he doesn't care about what is true and real and right in the sight of God. Some of you may say, you know what? If Jesus would just show up, I'd believe. Pilate stands as an example of one who had every opportunity and no excuse and did not convert. Next verse. Pilate still speaking to the the Jewish people. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you, (laughs) who do you, you it's like Pilate going, okay, look, All I care about is peace and tax revenues. I've got this crummy assignment in this little podunk region of Judah. If I can maintain the peace, I might get a promotion to a better jurisdiction. You guys want Jesus' freedom? Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, no. Not him. Give us Barabbas. And chapter 18 ends by telling us that Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. To put that in our terms, Barabbas is a terrorist. Here's the moral of the story. No one chooses Jesus. 
And Jesus comes to choose those who do not choose him. That's the goodness of our king. The other gospels tell us that these religious leaders would incite a mob. And that mentality is certainly not God-honoring. It is not about the truth. It's about chaos and upheaval, conflict. A whole mob comes against Jesus. Now, when Jesus was in heaven, all he heard was holy, holy, holy. And now all he's about to hear is crucify, crucify, crucify. It shows you how humble is our King Jesus, how loving is our King Jesus, how forgiving is our King Jesus. And here's what happens in the season of Passover that they are now in. All of this goes back to the time of Exodus where the people were enslaved in a demonic empire world system of Egypt where Pharaoh was worshipped as God. He had priests and there is the collision of the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Egypt. And God declares, I'm going to liberate my people from oppression so that they would be free to worship me. God gives them all an opportunity to repent and be reconciled to him. Some take it, but most do not. They harden their hearts toward God. And as a result, there is a succession of plagues that culminates the death of the firstborn. The firstborn was the hope of the household. The firstborn was the symbol of the greatness and glory of the family. And what God says is, unless you repent, death will come to every firstborn male son in every household, with the exception of those who, by faith, take a lamb without defect, symbolizing sinlessness, perfection, Consider that animal to be their substitute, slaughter it for their sin, paint the doorpost over their homes with its blood, partake of a meal, and literally the angel of death will pass over their homes that are covered by the blood. Jesus comes as the Son of God to die in fulfillment of Passover. God has a firstborn son. His name is Jesus. He comes to die. Jesus comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John 1, 29. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 that Jesus is our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed. You see, the whole thing is the Passover was a symbol, a foreshadowing. The King was a symbol of foreshadowing. The priest was a symbol of foreshadowing. The temple was a symbol of foreshadowing. The sacrificial system was a shadow of foreshadowing until Jesus shows up. And there is the real. These people at this season of Passover they are acknowledging their sin. 
They are choosing their unblemished lamb. They are bringing it into the presence of God at the temple. They would hand it to the priest who would slaughter it as a substitute. And they were trusting that their sins would be dealt with and their relationship with God reconciled over offering this unblemished substitute, this perfect substitute. Here comes Jesus. He's the real temple. He's the real presence of God on earth. In addition, Jesus is the real lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is in the process of going to the cross to choose to love those who would not choose him. Furthermore, Jesus is the real high priest. And not only does he give the sacrifice, he is the sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is the real and true Passover. Some of you have no idea the benefits that came with Jesus. Today, we don't go to a temple. Jesus makes your body a temple. We don't bring an animal as a sacrifice. Jesus, once for all, laid down his life for the sin of the world. We don't even need to have a priest to be that intersection that intercessor, that mediator, because Jesus is alive today as our great high priest. And if you get Jesus, you get everything. And if you don't have Jesus, you get nothing because it all comes down to him. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.